Hello, this is Robert Barge. Welcome to Redemption's Table, where every week we will gather around this table with a special guest to explore the most appetizing ingredient in this menu called life, redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe everybody hungers for redemption, everybody. And the truth is, redemption is all around us every day. It is a recipe that God the Creator sets before us every single moment of our lives. Unfortunately, so much emphasis is placed upon the bad, many have difficulty seeing, experiencing, and tasting the good. So I'm setting out on a journey, going table to conversation, to accentuate the reality of redemption in the lives of everyday people like you and me. A reality that, I believe, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the not-so-secret ingredient to the redemption we all seek. So, come hungry, join the meal, because party of redemption, your table is now ready. Well, there you are. Welcome back to Redemption's Table. I am on Zoom with a young man, a young adult man. Uh, he and I have been friends for, goodness, over 10 years, Cade Young. Cade, welcome to Redemption's Table. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for having me. If the listeners recognize your voice, it may be about a month and a half ago, I had somebody that you're familiar with on the podcast, uh, my good friend, your father, Owen. And has, has anybody ever told you y'all's voices sound a little bit alike? Yes, I get that. I get that all the time, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I asked you a moment ago, if you listened to your dad's podcast? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, it's funny to to listen to recordings of myself preaching because uh, I grew up listening to my dad preach. And it's funny how many of the mannerisms and uh, he actually visited our church a while back and everyone was commenting on how the way that we hold ourselves and the way that we converse with everyone, uh, how similar they are. So I guess I picked up a thing or two from him over the years. <laughs> yeah. You can't escape that. You know, it's uh, funny. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll hear things coming out of your mouth and you're going, you're going, Oh no, that sounds just like dad. And, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, it happens to us all. I, I had a chance to catch up with you at, uh, Ruby ranch. They're in the ranch house. I spent a couple of days there and visited with your parents and talking with your dad at the table. And you came in and goodness, Kate, at that time, I had not seen you since, right around high school, your graduation from high school, right about the time you were getting ready to go into the military. Uh, and what, which service did you go into? I was in the Marine Corps for four years okay. as an infantryman. And I want to thank you uh, for your service to our country. Uh, well, it was absolutely my pleasure and honor. And you, wh where were some of the places you were deployed that you're allowed was, to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, uh, I, I was trying hard to get to Iraq or Afghanistan, but uh, the Lord had different cards to deal me. So I ended up going to South Korea, uh, training with the Republic of Korea Marines there. Mm -hmm. um, so I got to experience South Korea. Then we went to Thailand. Um, I was in Okinawa, Japan as well. Got to be on a boat for a little while, which I would not do again if I had the choice. Uh, and then uh, my second deployment was actually to Darwin, Australia, out in the outback. Um, and I was there for seven months getting to train with the Aussie Army 
just, we were kind of one of the first groups um, to, to train there with them, trying to build up our strength in the Pacific um, with a view of countering some of communist China's influence in the region. Okay. So you were deployed, had the opportunity to, your journey took you to some beautiful places. Not because I've been there, but I've just, I've seen photos and, and uh, so that's, that's, wow, that's incredible. Now at the time you were already a father, you, you're married, you you had a son and you, you're a brand new father uh, again, correct? Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, I got married shortly after the Marine Corps. Um, after I got out, had my first son. He's two and a half now. And uh, yeah, Evan Evan Ephraim was born two weeks ago today. So he's already looking to be bigger than his brother. He's trying pretty hard already. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. And of course, I had the opportunity to meet your oldest son while I was visiting there. What does he think? Oh, he is beyond excited. He, he is he's so funny because he goes from, you know, so excited he can't contain himself to I, I asked him the other day, I said, Samuel, are you kind of tired of Evan? And he says, yeah, I'm tired of him. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a real emotional roller coaster for him still, but he's he's pretty excited about baby brother, as he calls him. Yeah. Yeah, but he's how old is he? The oldest. Two and a half. Two and a half. Yeah. So baby brother's a toy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the most upsetting thing for him is that he can't play with him yet. You know, he's yeah. always trying to get him to play trucks and everything else. So, but they, they get along pretty well so far. Yeah. He's probably thinking, what is wrong with you, man? Why don't you figure this out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's similar to uh, the way that we deal with new believers in the church sometimes, I guess, you know, <laughs> why aren't you, why aren't you doing these things that, uh, you know, more mature people should be doing already. <laughs> yeah. Like play trucks with me. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus would want you to play trucks. Why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It takes a little time sometimes. When we were sitting there at the ranch house around the table and your dad said, your dad kind of set you up to share some of your experiences. And what I was expecting to hear is your military service, some of where some of those opportunities that you had. And and of course, at that moment, I had no idea where you'd been. Uh, I I did know that you were in the Marine Corps and kind of watched your progress through your basic. And then from that point on, I really never knew where you were. And so your dad said, hey, tell him about, you know, I think he even said some of the missions you've been on. Well, your dad was using that word mission in a, in a different way. And you told me about an opportunity that you had uh, in a very uh, unique place to do something very unique. And I just sat there and my mind was blown. I was just like, wow, I just finished a podcast last week called Crazy. This week, actually, uh, called crazy, and this would fall in the category of crazy. As far as crazy, I believe the things <laughs> God gives us to do are crazy outside the box. Because if you read Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, He doesn't come along and say, "Hey, I want you to do something simple and normal." It's never that. It's a test of faith, but it's always He's always moving His kingdom forward. He's always moving, you know, getting the good news out there, and He uses. 
These are guys like me that, you know, <laughs> have no business that, you know, just not smart enough to realize I'm not supposed to even be attempting this, let alone, you know, but I am because he asked me to do it. So tell us, you know, tell, tell me what you, or tell everybody who's listening what you told me, um, what you can tell me. All right. Well, let me, let me, uh, let me start with kind of the, the event that prepared me um, to kind of step out into, into this opportunity. And uh, it was actually the day before my 25th birthday. And I had gone out, um, we live pretty rural and we'd had problems with coyotes coming around our house and harassing our dogs and, and our livestock and everything else. So tell, I thought, well, I'm going to do something about this. Yeah. Where do you live? Tell everybody where you live. So I, I live in Northern New Mexico, uh, about halfway between Santa Fe and Las Vegas, New Mexico, the original Las Vegas. Um, and we're, we're quite a ways out of town. We're about 30 miles from town. So anyways, we deal with a lot of wild animals and everything else. And, uh, we had had coyotes coming around the house. So I, I thought I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to, I'm going to try to see if I can, can take care of this problem. So I went up on the hill behind the house, about a half a mile behind my house and started calling and I was there with my dog and I had no sooner started calling than this face popped up about four feet in front of me and it was a mountain lion and I never seen a mountain lion in, you know, up close and personal like that before where there wasn't a cage between me and him. And it was pretty terrifying. So in self-defense, you know, and, and fortunately I had several thousands of dollars of Marine Corps training uh, under my belt at that time, I, I reacted uh, appropriately and with lethal force. Wow. And so this, this all happened the day before my 25th birthday. And I thought, wow, that's just, that's crazy. You know, and my wife jokes, she says, you almost didn't make it to 25 and she's right. Wow. Um, but the way that God used that in my life was I started reading about David and about the training that God had put him through and how all of the things that he experienced as a shepherd boy prepared him to step out into God's calling on his life to be the king of Israel, to be the one who was commander in chief of the nation of Israel's armies. And the thing that was going through my mind at the time was I didn't know what God had for me. I was a fairly new believer at the time. Um, I'd been saved for only two years, I guess, at that point. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering what is, what is God trying to tell me here? You know, with, with, with all this going on and not two weeks later, I got a call from a friend who said, Hey, I've got an opportunity to go into North Korea. Do you want to go? And he actually left a voicemail before that and said, I've got an opportunity to go on this mission trip to a pretty dangerous place. Would you be interested? And in the back of my mind, I thought if he invites me to North Korea, I don't know why that was sort of stuck there. And I thought I have to go, but I, I don't really want to necessarily, but long story short, he, he called back that that was his goal. And he explained it to me that we would be going in with a tour company 
um, North Korea was trying to bolster their public image at the time globally. So they were trying to bring a lot of tourists in. So what a very quick thinking American who had worked with this tour company over there over the years um, had come up with was actually a surf program. And so he had, he had gotten his foot in the door originally by drilling wells through loosely affiliated with YWAM um, for profit. YWAM, what does that mean? What is YWAM? Uh, Youth with a Mission is is YWAM. They're a pretty big missions organization um, globally. And so he had gone over there with them doing these wells. Uh, He would drill wells for profit in China, then go across the border into North Korea and do wells um, as a humanitarian aid. Wow. And what he was doing was actually um, sharing the gospel as he would go in and do these well projects. So he, he, in doing that, when you go into North Korea, they assign you two tour guides. Um, and they are basically there to make sure that you only see what you are supposed to see and that you don't see what you're not supposed to see and make sure that you go where you're supposed to go and stay out of the places you're not supposed to go. Um, it's pretty common knowledge that they are working uh, directly with the communist government mm-hmm. to keep an eye on you. Um, but he had established really good rapport with the owner of this tour company. And it's one of the largest in North Korea. So when they were looking at ways that they could boost their tourism, this guy said, Hey, you guys have great surf here. He's a surfer um, from, from California. And he said, you know, why don't you guys, bring surfing to North Korea. So there's crazy surfers all over the world that would pay good money just to say that they had surfed in North Korea. And so that's kind of how he, he started out with, with proposing, you know, this, we'll build this asset so that you can offer surfing as one of your attractions through your tourism agency. Um, and we'll come and do it for free. In fact, we'll pay you to come teach you how to surf. And so, of course, they jumped all over that. Um, then, after a period of time, he found out that there was also a ski mountain in North Korea. And so he proposed that they bring in some more people to teach the, these tour guides how to ski so that they could then offer that um, as a service, as an attraction Um to bring in more people and boost their tourism industry. Wow. And so that's kind of, they had contacted my friend who had been a ski instructor all over the world. And he called me just cause I guess I was one of the few people that might be crazy enough to go <laughs> with him. Uh, I knew how to ski, never been a ski instructor. Um, so yeah, he, I just kind of got roped into it cause he knew that I was uh, crazy enough to go, I guess. And I'm, I'm just processing all of this because that's a lot there. How old are you now? You're 25 when you had the, right before 25 when you had the encounter with the mountain lion. How old are you now? I'm 30 now. I'm 30. 30 this year. So. Wow. And then I'm just looking at the front, you know, 30, 30 years of your life and you encounter a mountain lion, which for those who don't live out in that part of the country, don't realize you don't see a mountain lion unless they want you to be seen. And he was not coming at you with good intent. And that's just phenomenal. Right. 
Uh, usually those, okay. those, those encounters don't end well for, not for the lion, but for the person that the lion says, Hey, boo, here I am. And then, so you do that, then you go to North Korea, you know, for a guy who, who had the idea of bringing surfing to North Korea. Wow. You know, hang 10, man. And then, and then you went, never been a snow ski instructor and you go to North Korea to train tour guides on how to, how to ski, how to snow ski. That's just mind blowing. So, so pick up, yeah, yeah, from there. Yeah, so the, the reason I guess that I was willing, more willing to go um, was reading about David and the things that he had gone through. And, you know, he, one of the things he said was, my God has protected me from the lion and the, and the bear. Who is this Philistine? Speaking of Goliath. And so when I, when I read that, I, I was really thinking, you know, here's this opportunity to go to one of the most oppressed places on the planet, if not the most oppressed place mm -hmm. on the planet with the good news of who Jesus Christ is. And the thing that was in the back of my mind was if he can protect me from the lion, you know, and this encounter, like you spoke of, um, he can protect me from the bearer of communism, you know? Yeah. And so that was, that was really kind of the driving influence i guess behind my thinking um as i in i was a newlywed at the time um you know so having to have that discussion with my <laughs> my new bride uh was was something that was a little bit scary but she was very supportive um her her parents were very supportive yeah. of me going uh, and it was it was really neat to have that support as well going yeah. over there how long were you there? How, how long did the skiing last? It was about two weeks altogether. We flew to Beijing, from Beijing to Chengdu, China. Um, and then we, and it was really strange because there was not much of a process i guess to go through to go from the u.s to north korea it mm -hmm. was done and is done so seldomly that it's almost like you're you're kind of sneaking over there in a mm -hmm. sense um so once we got to Chengdu, we go to the airport we get on this tiny little outdated airplane um, that's run by the north koreans it, it's it's like going back in time. It's like jumping on, uh, you know, when they decommissioned all the World War II planes. Indiana Jones? Commercial Indiana <laughs> Jones, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, I didn't see any snakes on the plane, but uh, other than that, it was pretty, pretty similar. So we, we get on this little rickety plane and, and flew over. Um, the, the passport process was kind of wild. We had to meet a North Korean agent in Chengdu um, who took all of our personal information, went to the, I guess there's a, some kind of consulate um, between China and North Korea there, um, filed our paperwork away, you know, I'm sure permanently in case we ever come back, they would pick up where we left off, but uh, they bring this passport back that is like a one-time use passport that is anytime if I were to go back today they'd give me the same one and they keep it in their possession so it's not something for 
you to keep, okay. um, but something that they keep so that they can keep tabs on how many times you're coming in, what you're doing. Um, you know, I'm sure who you're speaking to and all of those other things, but anyway, so we meet with this guy, get all of the, the paperwork taken care of. We get on this little plane and we're, we're flying into North Korea. Uh, and it was just the most surreal feeling because I'd been to South Korea mm-hmm. and going to South Korea, it was, it was such a wonderful place to be because they were so welcoming and so appreciative of what the U S accomplished in the Korean war of stopping the advance of communism. And so they, they were very welcoming going into North Korea did not feel that way. It yeah. felt like you're going behind enemy lines in a sense, you know, uh, you're not welcome there as a Christian. Yeah. And they made very sure that you knew that proselytizing was not welcome and was punishable by death. Um, They, they made sure that if you had a Bible, that all the pages were in it and that you had it when you left, you know? Yeah. Um, That's a lot of counting, man. That's (laughs) that's a lot counting a lot of pages. man. How how many students were in, in the class? How many tour guides did you guys train? So I think the, the group that we took over there um, of the instructors was about 12 of us all together mm-hmm. um, from all over the country, different walks of life, different backgrounds. Most of them knew more about skiing than I did, uh, except for one guy who had actually never been skiing before, but he was just crazy enough to go as well. He was actually a surfer. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just this, this ragtag group of people and anybody who knows sort of the ski bum type of a person. There was one guy that fit that stereotype to a T. And so the whole time I just knew that he was going to be the reason that I was going to end up in a North Korean jail. Uh, He was always trying to take selfies with the guards, you know, and uh, posting stickers all over this, you know, it's a government run resort. And he's putting stickers on the walls and things, you know, of his favorite local ski shop from Idaho or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that was the most terrifying part of the trip, to be honest. Oh, uh, so how many how many tour guides went through your school? So the uh, the tour guides we had eight tour guides, as well as a Chinese, well, sorry, North Korean police officer that was assigned to us the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, then we had the two that were assigned to us that were sort of in charge of us. So okay. altogether, I think it was 11, okay. 11 North Koreans uh, that we were with the entire time. The, the tour guides, the North Korean people, it was, it was really cool to see the similarities between North and South Koreans, you know, the, the culture, very similar. Um, the things that they enjoy karaoke, for instance, um, you know, the, the things that, that can't be stopped by a wall, um, by a demilitarized zone, you know, those kinds of just the, the human element, I guess, was really interesting to see, to see the similarities of the two countries. But what was also interesting was the juxtaposition of what communism um, does to people and does to a nation 
you know, that was, that was a really interesting sort of contrast for me. Yeah. Did did you, you know, I love to snow ski. I absolutely love it. It's one of those things like riding a bicycle. Once you do it, you never forget how, um, did any of the, uh, did any of the tour guides, did any of them take to it like a duck to the water? And it was like, was it, did you see them light up, you know, how much they were enjoying themselves? Did that happen? Yes. In fact, it was, it was so great because the, the mountain itself was kind of a three ring circus with, yeah. without a ring master. <laughs> and so basically they had what we, what we would call a bunny slope, the beginner hill uh, with a little, little escalator that would take you up to the top. And then you'd come down this relatively shallow pitch to the bottom, mm-hmm. except that there was about 200 people on this tiny little area. There was kids on these little sleds everywhere, kind of creating obstacles for all these people that are trying to learn to ski. And in North Korea at the time, there was sort of this burgeoning gray market, they were calling it. It was these people who had started these black market businesses uh, during the change of regimes had kind of come out into the light, opened up these little storefronts and had started conducting business and were making, making money. And so there was this sort of middle class uh, that was starting to form in North Korea. And so these businessmen would come up to the ski mountain now that they had a little bit of money Mm -hmm. um, and they would rent the equipment, but then they didn't have enough to pay for lessons. So they would just strap on the skis, go up the mountain and point them downhill. So you had this kind of, it, it was almost sort of a, a poetic chaos um, as all these people were learning to ski for the first time. And so we're here in the middle of all of it with these instructors or with these tour guides trying to instruct them and trying to help them, you know, and protect them from all of the moving objects that are coming down the hill towards them. <laughs> yeah. You know what that sounds like to me? That, I mean, you grew up on a ranch. That sounds like a rodeo. That sounds like a roundup, <laughs> except it's humans instead of uh, cattle uh, or horses. Yeah, so. absolutely. It was it was wild, but uh, it was such a great time. And we we really we did make a lot of progress with them. Uh, there was there was several of them that really did well. Uh, you know, they were they were able to ski by the time that we left. Yeah. You know, they, they weren't professionals by any means, but they definitely uh, could hold their own on the mountain. So that was really neat to yeah. experience and, and to visit with them. And what, what was really interesting to me was to ask them questions and they were full of questions wanting to know about the outside world. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting for me is I guess I had this picture in my mind of what a North Korean person was. And in talking to them, I realized that I, I really didn't know anything about North Korean people. And several of them had actually traveled outside of North Korea. Uh, one girl was a, the daughter of a ambassador to Cuba. Wow. Uh, they keep pretty close ties with the, you know, co- other communist countries, former mm-hmm. Soviet bloc countries and things like that. Um, so she had actually traveled to Cuba, met Fidel Castro had a picture of her and her class with Fidel Castro. And so for them, you know, they're, they're sort of these privileged 
elites in the North Korean communist system. But even they said that the reason that they had become tour guides was to see their country. In North Korea, you can't, you can't even travel outside of your city without proper permitting. And so they wanted to see their, you know, their, their nation. And in order to do that, they had to become tour guides mm -hmm. um, just to be able to get on a bus and, and go, you know, you enjoy uh, going across the country, seeing all the beautiful places in the U S uh, as well as I do. And it, it was really just mind blowing to me to think that you would have to get a particular op occupation in order to do that. You well, know? we have a lot of freedom here. Just, uh, well, man, I mean, I love hearing the story. I loved hearing it the first time you told it and loving hearing, love hearing it again, because you're, you're, you're sharing something that translates into joy. I mean, most people, when they learn ski, it's just joy, but you've got an even greater joy within you, which is the real reason you're there, which is the joy of, of, of Jesus. And there's no joy like it. And so it's just, but, you know, just that opportunity. And you said, you know, you mentioned about how much uh, the South Koreans and the North Koreans that you noted the, sim noted the similarities. People are people everywhere. Uh, right, the exactly. need is great everywhere. And so, right. so when's yeah, the next trip? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I, I would my boss that I worked for, he, he was able to go and share. Well, he, he went in, he was smuggled, smuggled Bibles into Russia when it was still Soviet. They got on a train in Poland, put all the Bibles in, in one suitcase. Um, when the guards came to search the suitcases, they grabbed, you know, one of the suitcases that had clothes instead of the Bibles because God was protecting them. Um, and they were able to pass those out in churches throughout Russia. And they would go in and as a uh, choir, men's choir, and most of them said couldn't carry a tune in a bucket before they got there. <laughs> but in, in doing that, he, he had shared that story with me about how they had smuggled Bibles in under, you know, under Soviet Russia, had a spy with them, keeping tabs on them the whole time. And then years later, when, when the Iron Curtain fell, he was actually able to go back to Red Square in Moscow and openly preach the gospel and openly share Bibles with people. Wow. And that story has always really inspired me, especially for the people of North Korea, you know, going there and seeing the oppression that they face. I just look forward to the day when we're able to go there and pass out Bibles uh, in Pyongyang, you know, instead of seeing the, the towering figures of Kim, Kim Il-sung and uh, Kim Jong-il, when those are torn down and instead you see a cross, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to that day. And, you know, scripture talks about, you know, young men will have visions and old men will dream dreams. And that there, that is not out of the realm of possibility. What you, what you've just shared there. Well, man, we got to find a place to land the plane here, so to speak. I, yeah, just, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm ex the first 30 years, I just can't wait to hear the next five <laughs> or the next three with you because, uh, you know, you, you just, you may want to even start thinking about writing a, writing a book 
Um, never know. So, uh, man, I, I appreciate you being on here. Is there anything you wanted to share before we jump off? Absolutely. Yeah, there is. Uh, you know, speaking of, of just the oppression uh, that I got to see there and looking forward to that, that hope that we have because of who Christ is, because mm-hmm. of what he has done for us. Um, lately, one of the verses that has been a real comfort to me is the government will be on his shoulders. You know, when we see things kind of falling apart all around us, all across the world, it's nice to know that the government will someday be on Christ's shoulders, you know, and, and the, the thing that was really vivid for me and was made the biggest impression on me was going to North Korea and they have these huge statues, you know, you, and when you read about Nebuchadnezzar and the statue that he built in Daniel, mm-hmm. you know, this 90 foot high statue. I mean, you, you would think that they had read that story and decided, Hey, I'm going to make myself Nebuchadnezzar. And they built these two statues of themselves um, that people literally go and bow to. And what was interesting is when we stood in front of those statues, they said, we know that you guys are Christians and that you're not going to bow in front of these statues. And that's okay. And that kind of blew my mind to tell you the truth, but they, wow. they said, we know that you won't bow. And looking at those statues and, and thinking about that, you know, that connection back to ancient Babylon. And they took us to the tower of Juche the tower of the juche idea uh, and it juche is a korean word that is loosely translated self-reliance and it's the idea that there's no one out there that's going to help us so we're going to do it ourselves and when you read through scripture and you read it in genesis about the tower of battle this idea that man is going to build this tower up to make themselves God. We're, we're going to become independent of God. We're going to be dependent solely on ourselves. We're going to be totally self-reliant. And, and really the idea is almost we'll look down at God. We'll, we'll get to a place where God is obsolete. And, you know, the, the story goes that God came down to look at this tower that they're building. And w- when we went to the tower of the Juche idea, whenever you go inside of it, they have these plaques from, college professors mainly from all over the world in every dialect that you can think of, every different language written on these plaques all throughout this tower. And I couldn't help but think about the correlation between here's the tower of the Juche idea and thinking about the tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. And really that is secular humanism at its finest and it's it's tragic to see that in all of human history we're still struggling for that same idea you know but all that to say you know the, the reason that they have all this oppression is they have this ideal that they're trying to get to they, they have this utopia this type of heaven that they're trying to get to but we can't do it in our own power. Man is not capable of creating a heaven. And what you see when you go to North Korea is how even that man's best efforts to create a heaven for himself is actually creating a hell. Yeah. And it's creating a place where instead of freedom and independence, you actually have oppression. And I want to just share this verse if I can from yeah. Hebrews 2. 
speaking of Christ, it says, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. In other words, he became a person, a human, that through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. And I, I was listening to the podcast that you did with my dad and, and you asked him kind of what redemption meant to him. And that really kind of got me to thinking, what, what is redemption? And really it's a technical term that refers to being bought out of slavery and going to North Korea and seeing the slavery that those people are held under every day this struggle, I mean, you know, the, the idea of communism is all about struggle and, and a constant struggle, every class overthrowing the class above it. And that's really man's best effort at creating heaven is only creating struggle, yeah. continual struggle that is never dealt with. And what, what we have in the idea of redemption is that, struggle has been accomplished on our behalf. We don't have to struggle to try to create this heaven because Jesus Christ has come. He's struggled for us. The, the several verses before that, it talks about how he's the champion of our salvation. And I love that, that wording because he has overcome death. The, yeah. the thing that holds us in fear, that holds us in oppression, the thing that we can't, get out from under its yoke. He is taking that upon himself and he's dealt with it and yeah. he's redeemed us. And so now we have freedom in Christ. Um, and that's the, that's the message that we took over there. That's the message that I look forward to the North Korean people embracing because it's not a mess message that can be stamped out. Um, no matter how much government persecution has gone on there and it's gone on for more severely for more years than any other point in human history in that particular country. And yet there's still a church there. There's still a hope there and there's still redemption being shared there. Yeah. 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 You mentioned the word yoke. And as you were sharing that, you know, just, I believe it was, uh, Solomon, who said there's nothing new under the sun, all these ways that we think we're inventing, you know, and we're, we're making progress under, you know, doing it our own way. Jesus comes along and says, hey, you know, come unto me, all ye who are weary and labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And if we would just surrender that, because he says my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, and uh, what an invitation. Uh, it's really awesome to hear what God is doing. And again, uh, I just keep on doing it. Just, I, I just, uh, I just thank you for coming. I think this is the first father and son I've had on the podcast yet, just at different times. So uh, don't tell your dad this, but I, th I think you, you, you did a better job than he did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, he, if he listens to this podcast, he probably just heard me say that. So, <laughs> uh, well, well I, I sure appreciate it, Robert. It's a, it's been a privilege and an honor. 
Yes, sir. Likewise, I'm going to say, well, let's just say goodbye to the folks and you and I'll visit just another minute after I, after I click the recording off. But I just, uh, we, we've been here talking to Cade Young and uh, just grateful that he came to the table tonight. And those of you who listen on a regular basis, just be leaning in for the next Wednesday, most likely next Wednesday morning, you'll hear the word go out, uh, party redemption. Your table is now ready until then. We'll see you then. Thank you again, Cade.